feel as if I've been out in a pounding rain for 48 hours without an umbrella or a coat. I'm soaked to the skin with emotion. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today, we have a fantastic interview with fangirl blogger, author, Star Wars fan, Trisha Barr. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Trisha Barr writes about Star Wars, fandom, and genre storytelling on her site, Fangirl Blog, as well as for Star Wars Insider Magazine and Random House's science fiction blog, Savudu. Her book, Wind, is the Golden Medal winner for Best Science Fiction Fantasy Horror Ebook in the 2014 Independent Publisher Awards. Trisha and Rhonda were both recently at Congregate, speaking on the panel's Geek girls and unicorns and the myth of strong women which is where they met and got to know each other a little bit so trisha welcome to the show thanks for having me on ladies i'm so excited to be talking about being a geek girl (laughs) we're delighted to have you here why don't you tell us a little bit about your stuff about yourself to get started Actually, the two panels that Rhonda and I were on sort of define what, um, how I got into blogging and talking about fandom, which was that there seemed to be no voice out there expressing that women were consumers of uh, products. Specifically for me, it was Star Wars books, uh, comics, mm. and anything merchandise related. It seemed to be there was no trust in that uh, demographic, just females in general. And then, um, and then also, I really thought that the portrayal of the characters, the, the female characters, was sort of in decline where I had jumped into this universe. And because I felt like there were heroines in it and mm-hmm. they were disappearing to me. And mm. so I, that's where fangirl came from. I, I took back the, the, the word fangirl, which when I started was uh, a very derogatory term. And I was like, nope, it's gonna, I'm going to own this and I'm going to tell women that they should own it too. So sort of a dismissive thing like, oh, well, you're just a fangirl. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, you know. It, the definition in the Urban Dictionary was not kind when you, <laughs> and, and you know, I guess it was eight years before Fanboys, the movie came out, and mm-hmm. it was the same type of thing where you know people said, oh, if you're fanboying over something, but that movie really showed that that fanboys were, um, you know, nice people, good people, and they were just like everybody else. Cool. So when you talk about seeing a decline in in the strong female characters in Star Wars, are you talking about sort of the difference between the original trilogy and the second or in the books? Is there a specific example of that? Well, I have been a fan since 1977 and Mm -hmm. been reading the books all along. But it's really hard to when you see something, you're talking with a group of friends. I was a big fanficer. We read the books multiple times. We would discuss plot points and you could see as when Padme came on the scene, the Phantom Menace was sort of, you know, disregarded by a lot of people. But one thing it did really, really, really well was introduce not just one great female character in Padme. I mean, she does a lot of amazing things. She's young. She's a warrior. She makes command decisions. She's bold. She defends her people. Um, And so, and then she has this team of women that are with her. And Mm -hmm. then you could see that the design was really good. And then over the course of the three movies, she sort of got backburnered. And part of that was because, I think George Lucas really wanted to protect Anakin's, you know, he had to be redeemable. So, right. Uh, and I actually wrote about it in, in uh, the Star Wars Insider about Padme's and um, her end and um, how that, how her character, you know, and what happened was in the books, the story sort of followed suit and they sort the women's sort of started contracting in the stories and having less to do. It was almost like the, the settings of the books were mimicking the movies and how um, mm. the Jedi Order were. And at the same time, the the female characters were contracting just like Padme had and becoming less strong and less um, 
relevant to the stories as opposed to say Mara Jade, who I think is pretty much kind of for any female character, if you look at her agency and what she had to overcome and, you know, um, persist beyond to make her own decisions about who she was going to be, you know, there, there's a stark contrast or even princess Leia, um, you know, Lay didn't have a, a, as much of an arc as Luke, but I thought she was pretty steady during most of the original trilogy. Although Carrie Fisher acknowledges that in, you know, the Return of the Jedi, part of the Slave Leia costume was to make her not as um, abrasive to and powerful to men. That was there was she said back in the interview when the movie came out that she acknowledged that that was part of the reason that costume was in there. Yeah, because she was very, um, one of the reasons why she's always been one of my favorite characters was because she always could just kind of stand there and, you know, um, she was quippy. She was just as quippy and and sassy and and strong-willed as anybody else was. Yeah, and, you know, the I one of my most... Uh, what hit the blog post is about the slave lay costume and the way the story go is in her portrayal and how Carrie Fisher approaches the character. She maintains um, the kind of the ability and agency of that the character Leia had from the beginning. And that's mm-hmm. what I always liked about it. And I always thought it was amazing is how um, how much Carrie Fisher understood what the motivations of that character was and really held her ground in the movie to keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. Regina, about her presence because mm-hmm. to pull off that amount of strength and respect while basically wearing a large white choir robe. Yeah. I mean <laughs> she was regal. I mean she was yeah. just absolutely regal and, and I've always I've always loved that about that character that reason so and it was you're right she was in a choir robe <laughs> with, with cinnamon with cinnamon, cinnamon rolls yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> she she definitely had the the um you know but she was so young and this was you know really her first role defining role and yet she managed to bring it and own it and standing next yeah. to this huge intimidating character that we're all terrified of mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, I'm not afraid of you. Right, right. I'm just going to stand right back up next to you. Yeah, that was always what I, I always loved that about her. She's, she's plucky. Well, what kind of reaction have you gotten to um, Fangirl? A, a lot of positive reaction. <laughs> and I was always, uh, you know, I was a little worried. And over time, I've had some contentious um episodes where I've, you know, talked about storytelling or and had, you know, when people talk about or people come on your site and leave comments that are very um, heated and um, derogatory to women. I've had a few of those over the years, but, you know, they've gotten less and less. And um, one one is that's because I'm very aware that people will pick on you if you if they know that you're weak to that. So (laughs) I've always held up that sort of um, you know, you have to really just go in there and say, I have an opinion, it's valid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and let's get on with it. And, you know, and then at, slowly, I got invited to um, write for the Savudu blog, which is Random House's science fiction um, blog. And then that led to me getting, you know, opportunity to write in Star Wars Insider. And just through, I think, to getting to know people in the storytelling and in the, in the franchise and really be able to, you know, get beyond just the words that you're writing down and really kind of be able to um, say, Hey, I'm a real person. And, and we really do have legitimate feelings that sort of helps open up opportunities. So um, I'm sorry. Do you have a, um, a most exciting fan moment? (laughs) (laughs) I have I have a few. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's always those moments where you, you just are really excited. Um, one one of them was um, getting asked to interview Aaron Alston. So that was my first um, professional Star Wars rating um, project, and Aaron Alston just has just knocked it out of the park in his writing. He's my favorite female characters and my favorite Star Wars writer. So I actually got a text um, 
on my phone that said you have an email and I was riding my horse and you shouldn't usually have your phone and of course but I was going on a long distance and so I'm sitting in the middle of essentially this big ring um, with all these other people riding around that don't understand Star Wars or <laughs> in the way I do or the community not that they don't understand it but just like what's going on and because you can't really even talk about that you know and so I'm like oh my gosh my not that my horse is named Ganner after a Jedi character so this is how you know like profound it is and I almost felt off so um, <laughs> um that's that's one of my most favorite moments and then um another favorite moment was um i hosted the panel at geek girl con on uh the female characters of star wars it was the first panel i was hosting and i ashley um Eckstein, from her universe had agreed to come and do the panel and I was looking at the line of people. There was a line of people and I was like, what are all those people in line for? And then I realized they were going into the panel um, <laughs> and, and they, it was standing room only. And I was sort of sitting in the room, just having this moment where it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. So those are my two moments. Those are great um, moments. Yeah. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad you didn't fall off the horse though. I am too. I'm glad that that wasn't the ending. I've of been that told story. to not not read my emails. They're always af they're like, oh, afraid to send you emails. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, and it, it happens. They those emails that come never come at the like at a convenient time. No. So, oh, yeah. no, 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 and that's true. That's true. Regardless, it's always when it completely catches you off guard and you're, yeah, yeah, never, never. And and then one other moment I had that was really awesome was. Uh, Ryder Wyndham, who writes a lot of junior novels for Star Wars, had sent me a text. He says, I'm having dinner with uh, James Luceno and Jason Fry, who are two other Star Wars authors. And James Luceno wrote Darth Plagueis. He's kind of a god in Star Wars writing. And he invited me to dinner. So I remember going and sort of being like, uh, you know, <laughs> sitting there. And then the funny thing was none of them had seen the uh, – Clone Wars, they had shown clips at this is at Celebration in Anaheim, which is the Star Wars convention. And so they had written stuff but hadn't seen any of the animation. And I had actually seen the animation. So they were all like, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. <laughs> it's really cool because I got I had seen it and they didn't know that they they were gonna reveal that Darth uh, Sidious was in a clip and fighting so they knew about that but they they were like tell us what it was so oh that's so <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's so much fun uh so you've done some Star Wars cosplay right yes I have so what 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 are your characters <laughs> my character and almost all of my my first cosplay was in 1977 it was Princess Leia of course I, yes so um I, ha I have the my mom found the picture because I don't know, she was just looking through stuff. She's like, Oh my gosh, you really were a star Wars fan, you know? <laughs> and, and then I cosplayed Jaina solo, um, a couple of times. And while those times were out of generosity of other people, letting me use the, the, their uh, costumes because I'm not talented at sewing. <laughs> and, um, so it's, so much fun. I have so much respect, when, especially, you know, we went through this whole sort of era where um, cosplayers were dismissed. And that's why I like to see um, shows where you get to see how much work they put into mm -hmm. hundreds of hours and how they, you know, I was instructed how to stand, how would the character act, how would she hold her lightsaber, um, you know, look talking to uh, the light you know, lightsaber hilt builder who explains why he did certain rivets because they look like X-wing uh, parts and, you know, it would be practical how they would want to hold it if they flew and just how they would think as, you know, a Jedi versus a Jedi who flew an X-wing versus a Jedi who, um, you know, didn't, wasn't a fighter pilot. It was, it's amazing the thought they put into. Wow, that's a lot of, of history and background that you wouldn't necessarily think about with cosplay. Oh, and they, and they do. So mm -hmm. I, every time I have um, thoroughly enjoyed it. So awesome. Um, I had a question and I just went totally blind. <laughs> it was a really good one. Oh man. man. Oh yeah. Now, no. 
Um, well, you're a writer and an author. We know you write the blog, and we're going to talk about your book in a minute, Wind. But have you ever delved into fan fiction any? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that was a left field question. <laughs> no. Um, I actually started uh, when the prequel trilogies, you know, came about, and I was so excited. And I'm like, I've always written stories in my head, always. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'm just kind of weird that that's what I do, that I'm, I wrote Lord of the Rings <laughs> stories and in my head. And then I found there were people who were writing them down. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can do this. And I didn't start on a short story. I My first piece was a novel. It was over 100,000 words. And oh, my God. Did it. It's, you know, you go back and look at it and there's just, you know, the horrors of the things that you learn as you go. Uh, but uh, that... That story, I won uh, Best New Author, I believe, that year, um, straight away, and it won, all, that story won a lot of awards. I, I was really one of the most decorated Star Wars fanfic authors at the TFN community, which was the biggest kind of localized, um, uh, and that's really how I learned about fandom, because you get uh, hard, I, there was, you know, a huge com- contingent of fans that did not want anything to do with the stories that weren't to do with the movies Mm. and so there was you know sort of this true fan or true star wars and you just kind of jump in and want to have fun and then you're getting these people and when i won the award that was my first time i was like had literally uh, experienced this sort of like blowback uh, because people were Mm. well people were surprised that the story about the characters that weren't in the movies beat their movie stories so Uh. you know there was this sort of like whoa wait what's happening um because it really kind of shook up people so yeah i i've written a lot of um that's how i met um the gentleman bj who edits for me he was a fanficer and he actually introduced and said hey don't worry about these people they're just being silly and kind of explain their motivations and over time i got to get to know those people and they sort of came around so you know, it's all about learning. But I I think um, fanfic is a great tool to learn. You have kind of characters and world building and all you have to do is in, learn how to tell stories and what motivate characters. And I think fanfic writers are the best reviewers of books because they know their stuff. They're not just in there like, well, you didn't get this fact right. You know, they're right. in there. What, what motivates characters? Why do they do it? Um, I had this crazy awesome discussion at Congregate uh, in the Imperial March panel just about the history and world building and what would motivate leaders and countries. And I'm thinking this is like exactly what we would do in the fanfic forums, except the only difference was, you know, the fanfic people would, you know, kind of be looked down on and, you know, because... There, I was sitting on a panel with a group of men who had all published. Um, it would be considered differently. And I'm like, this is like amazing. This is no <laughs> different. And so, you know, I'm hoping that that will, you see all these awesome fan academics, especially like from Buffy, uh, you know, the Buffy fans and the Firefly flan- fans, and you're seeing it more and more. And a lot of those people who are writing this, this academic type stuff, they're uh, fan, they started in fanfic. Mm-hmm. or fan fitting oh, okay. or, um, you know, a lot of these. And and it's amazing to actually understand that just because, you know, there's always this fear that if someone wrote fanfic that they wouldn't buy a book and that's not true. I bought everything because I was a fanfic writer because I wanted every resource, exactly. every book. Okay. So, you know, there's sort of a misunderstanding of how that dynamic works. But I I wanted to have everything that was put out licensed so I could incorporated into my story. Yeah, that makes that makes way more sense to me than thinking the converse of that. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want to know all aspects of the universe you are writing about? Why would you be like, oh, I can't, I can't read this, you know? Well, and that's one of the reasons my in my blog I talk about fanfic, and because I wanted people to understand that it wasn't what people thought. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, when uh, Bertelsmann put out their report on, they've made billions of dollars on this book. They they didn't understand why it worked. Mm-hmm. And it essentially was because she had a fan base, a huge fanfic fan base. Right. It kickstarted her, 
her, they went out and bought the book. Right. And so they don't even understand that basic dynamic. And that's interesting. You know, they're talking about, you know, you need to get the book out faster and be reactive and understand trends. But really, that's just understanding how generally women tend to respond to stories. But that's who that that base started out as. Right, right. Always willing to kind of commit to those. <laughs> they commit to the characters. <laughs> and that and, is exactly right. Yeah. It is. And it's funny because, you know, there's going through this dynamic of change in, um, you know, you see these big articles about Star Wars canon and the change. And, you know, fanfic writers are used to AUs. I'll write the same character, 10 different stories, 10 different endings. You know, mm-hmm. one time they die, one time they turn dark, one time they're the hero. So, you know, we're really engaged in just seeing what the possibilities are for a character. Right. And that shows a level of commitment to the character and to the universe as well, because then you're looking at all the possible outcomes of a, of a character story. Mm-hmm. And that really shows a commitment, which which if I were to define fangirl just in general, that would kind of be one of the words that would come up for me would be commitment to whatever whatever fandom they're they're a fan of. Exactly. Yeah. And can I say fan one more time? You can. I probably fan. could. <laughs> That's funny. I was shopping for fans today online. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the one thing I, I put it when I made my logo was I wanted the fan to be big and mm-hmm. the girl to be pink and very girly. Mm-hmm. And But that was to highlight that really when it comes down to it, you know, the we're fan all is prominent. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. fan is prominent. And, yeah. you know, it, and so what if there's a little pink on the end or purple right. or whatever frilly right. color you want yeah <laughs> if it's not frilly you know some some girls are not like that some women are not like that but it's more about letting everybody experience it how they want to well and in some aspects kind of some of what you talked about in the article about what is strong um that that idea of uh women needing to be masculine in order to be strong characters you know you should be able to put a little pink frill in your fandom it is true. It, you know, strength, strength is a word that, you know, some at some point ended up being defined as pa- power, physical power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not physical power necessarily. It's one of the many definitions or uh, ways you can think of strong. Yep. And, you know, that was a lot of people, a lot of people struggle they hate the term strong female character and I I do understand that because really what are we saying uh, I want a well-written well-considered female character right. but if I put all those words in and I want to pick one word to represent it it's strong and that doesn't mean strong and strength it means when you're talking about strong it it means well considered well constructed well reasoned out and a lot of times that also got wrapped up in just that women weren't portrayed as strong as being able to persist or be the hero so you know the two terms sort of collided and women were asking just for a chance to be the hero of some stories and to be well written Mm -hmm. as a hero so that's sort of where that word strong female character came from but I think until we get past the point of uh, not having to ask (laughs) then you know it's hard but sometimes I still struggle with it because you see uh, the example of, say, Lois Lane in the last Superman movie, Man of Steel, where they, you know, they wanted, they made a point of trying to make it, you know, I can hang with the military guys and I've won these awards. But then, you know, she's strong in that she's got a lot of um, creds, I guess, to mm-hmm. be able to do what she's doing. But then she didn't have any agency. So, right. um, you know, so that ends up being a problem just you know, transition, you know, they, you know, they go out of their way to make a strong character and then don't follow through. So, right. It's one thing to have the character who has the characteristics and then another to put them in a place where they have actual action or ability or a story arc that actually does kind of carry them through. Yeah. And, and sometimes strong characters will fail. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that in the end that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Padme was weak. She lost the will to live. I still take that whole 
I, I think that's just a poorly considered line. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that, that she just gave up. And I've talked to a lot of women who just said, well, if that was what the story was, I said, well, but you don't, it, it's a robot. You don't have to listen to him. Um, and you can just take it for what it is and, and make your own choice. But sometimes, sometimes a strong character is going to fail or not achieve their end. Um, I think of the character Satine in the Clone Wars, who is a pacifist. And there were a lot, there was a lot of criticism of her because her people, she was a leader of the Mandalorian people and she chose not to fight back, but that was her stance and she was unwilling to change who she was. Um, and she ended up dying for it. Mm. But that, you know, so they're like, oh, she's a failure. She didn't save her people. But in the end, her, I think her, the rebellion in her to not give up was a bigger blessing to her people than people might consider. Um, you know, she was strong not to change who she was, even if that meant losing the that battle. Right, and that pulls into into discussion, sort of thinking about what success means and what the definition of success is. You know, we have kind of, I mean, if we fall into the same categories where, you know, you're only a success if you win, Sometimes you aren't. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you're succeeding just by trying and getting out there and doing and, you know, and that's more sort of realistic in terms of character and character development. Yes. I always go back to my horseback riding because the second you think you're golden and winning, your horse will Mm -hmm. remind you that you're not You're not in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, I I have participated in a lot of humbling sports like that. You know, you can, only one person ultimately, like, you know, the NCAA basketball term, only one team wins in the end. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, There are a lot of people who tried their hardest who didn't win the tournament. And there are a lot of fans on board who don't get to see the victory. Same thing with the Super Bowl. So, you know, we... But that doesn't mean that there aren't amazing people or actions or, you know, in character storytelling uh, that, you know, don't always aren't always the victors. So, and victory isn't necessarily success. It de- just depends. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's what I loved about um, the two two articles I read on your your blog specifically about uh, the strong female character and agency and these panels have been discussing these terms for quite a while and I've always felt like that they were extremely shallow but just barely even scratching the surface and what I liked about your articles is it explained how incredibly deep and complicated these types of issues are and there's so many facets to it especially the the one about the strong female character I felt like finally someone explained um, what that conversation is about. And, you know, it's it's hard until you really write about it and really consider it. And that's one of, it's one of the reasons I really push for diversity in storytelling teams because we're starting to realize that movies aren't just directors or screenwriters, um, although those are the powerful forces and books aren't just an author, uh, although that is a powerful force. But every time you get somebody with a little bit different perspective in the team, they're going to look at something at a different nuance, a different uh, take on something, how it would be perceived, how maybe it makes them feel. And you'll end up, yeah, it's, it's very complicated in storytelling, because you, and especially now we have this issue with agency for characters, which is a huge, huge issue for female characters, because they just don't always, you know, I, th- I think it's Kelly Sue DeConnick who calls it the sexy lamp test. You know, if you could just put a sexy lamp in there, then um, mm-hmm. for the character, then, you know, your your female character isn't working properly. You mean like and, the leg in the Christmas story, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but then there's objectification and sometimes people confuse the two just because a character's in a skimpy outfit or being shown stylized doesn't necessarily mean that um, that character isn't having agency or just so it's really complicated um, so it's good to discuss it, and the and it's always good to talk about it because you sometimes find out more. And the agency post that I wrote, Agent of My Own Destiny, was actually born out of 
I was on Coffee with Kenobi podcast and they're sort of an intellectual Star Wars podcast and they were asking me, well, does Padme have agency in a certain scene they were they thought and I said, well, yes, she does have agency. Um, and that's the, the arena scene is this is a specific one because she's taking care kind of control of her own destiny, even though they're going to, you know, feed them to these uh, giant beasts in, uh, in the arena in Geonosis. Uh, she, the next suit jumps up and slashes off her costume, half of her costume, exposes her midriff. And that's objectification. That's not lack of agency. So mm-hmm. those are two separate issues that mm-hmm. have, that, that we have to challenge when we're talking about female characters. And, you just because you objectify character doesn't mean she doesn't have a lack of agency. And sometimes it's, you know, not wrong. You know, people worry about just sexualizing women and you can't just take that component out of a female character if you're going to make them real, because for some Mm -hmm. characters that is part of them, black widow being the best example. Um, You know, her scene in, um, in the Avengers when she gets, Loki to give up information. Um, it's brilliant. It, mm-hmm. It's one of those moments where I, I just had a profound, I was like, wow, he just blew because you're sitting there going, oh man, you know, he's playing her. And then you realize that no, she, she played him, but it cost her. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It just was a different type of cost. Yeah. And that was the sacrifice she was willing to make, which is what she, we're looking for here from our yes. heroes. A- she had agency right. in that moment. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because we're all talking about how we reacted to that scene. And that's another element that you brought up in the um, agency article is that it's important to consider what the audience's reaction is. Um, and that plays into whether or not your character that you've written loses their agency or not. Yeah, it, it is. It is very important. Um And that's why sometimes if you don't have a lot of life experiences when you're storytelling, you don't see how other people would um, experience a story. And one of those, I had one of those moments where, you know, I talked a lot about Star Wars stories really not um, living up to my expectations as far as the books not uh, really playing out all the facets of Star Wars. And that included romance and heroes and um different elements. And I actually had a, one of the authors write me a email and say, he realized that he was watching a TV show where he went through the whole TV show, the whole series and got to the end and it didn't end up like he expected. And he was really disappointed. And it was the first time he ever realized how fans like myself had felt about his stories. Mm. And so that was the kind of the moment where you you have to emp- you have to empathize with all of your audience, especially if you want to write broadly. So, um, you know, if you want to write to a big audience or if you you just have to know how everyone's going to react. So mm-hmm. um, I, I am of the mindset that I don't divorce people from their bodies of work. Um So, you know, there are a lot of people who say, you know, artists will do what they're going to do. And there are a lot of people I've written enough that I know that you can't take your person out of your storytelling. Mm. Um, But you need to be uh, painfully aware of where your person will go in your in your storytelling to um, make sure that you don't uh, perpetuate negative tropes, uh, things that you learned. I mean, you don't you just don't even think about some of the things you saw as a kid that keep teaching you that, you know, maybe as a woman, you can't be the hero or other things. You just have to be aware of those tropes and not, and make sure that when you're doing something, a story, you're, you're affecting the, you're doing the right thing and affecting people the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up tropes. You're segueing so well. I can tell you're professional. <laughs> <laughs> That's another panel that comes up all the time. And I actually was on a, a tropes panel um, at Utopia and at Congregate, and they were b- entirely different than um, Tropes panel I've been on in the past. And I guess when I'm thinking about um, trying to keep a character's agency and, uh, and their strength, when let's say we're storytelling uh, about a female character, um, s- where does Tropes fit into that? Uh, I mean, 
uh, on one hand, I see tropes as being, well, you know, there are only so many plot lines in the universe. And on the other hand, uh, what Regina and I have talked about so many times is don't be a lazy storyteller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do, the, do these three things play well together or, <laughs> or, or is, and see, I'm not a writer, so. Well, um, one of the things I'm, I combine my reading with my writing. So I always am looking at what the tropes are when I'm reading something that's not my own work. You can look up tropes on, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but if you just look up storytelling tropes, there are like literally a million of them. And there, there are encyclopedias on the internet where you can find like every single trope uh, that you know, persists and they'll, you know, they show up in stories over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, so, you know, you, the conquering hero, the damsel in distress, they, and they just keep going on from there, you know, the trickster uh, character or, or how, and then how those characters react. Uh, one that I can think is a big one, print the princess trope. And uh, I, the princess trope is that you're going to find your true love and you're going to, something's going to happen, you'll have to overcome it, and then you'll all live happily ever after, right? So that's the the trope I grew up on. That's mm-hmm. the one uh, I could go pull out a uh, hundred different stories that, that And what I've most uh, romantic comedies are based on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so when I sat down to write my novel when I was challenging that trope from the start. That was one of the things I was going to do, was challenge that trope. And uh, can the princess, is she going to save herself? Does she need the, the prince at the end? Um, how I challenged the princess trope was I made the character uh, to start out a, her father was a wealthy uh, capitalist who had a huge corporation, let's say the equivalent of uh, GM that he owned, like a car company, but this is a, it's a spaceship company in this case, cause it's a space opera. And she, her, that's her dad. So she's eff- effectively a princess just in that she has everything she wants. She's a celebrity. She can go where she wants to get what she wants. There's nothing that's stopping her, which is what basically princesses are in fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have everything at their back. Privileged. Privileged. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you take that privilege and you start challenging it in the ways that a, a princess trope might go. But then you just keep you keep niggling at it and changing it. And and um, as long as you make her real and you make her have a goal and an ending um, and you know where it's going to go and you understand what the trope is that you're starting with, you always have to know the rules before you can break them. That's uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from anybody who's been a professional author. And they say, I've seen that said several times, but that's my, how I've learned to rate. So, you know, you just, you have to know the trope. And the one thing is you have to remember is people respond to stories because they are familiar mm-hmm. and they resonate with something right. that they connect with them. Um, you know, people still wonder why does Frozen work? Frozen works because something connected with people. Um, they'll probably be talking about it 20 years from now, why it worked. But, uh, you know, any story that had these ones that Star Wars has this um, great emotional resonance because of what it is. Um, you just have to understand that you, you need tropes, but you don't need, you don't want to be a slave to them or ignorant of, of why they exist or how they, you don't want to lean on them too much. Yes. Right. You don't want them to be the foundation of your writing. Exactly. And, and so that, that it's hard. You, you have to be to write storytelling and this is, um, to, and to do it well, uh, you have to be painfully self-aware. Mm-hmm. painfully self-aware of all your flaws as a writer and attack them it, when you as you write before you write and then after you write it and um you know not a lot of people do that but the best storytellers i've ever seen are painfully aware of uh everything and that and they're usually the most insecure people and that's why i think they're quite always questioning what they do so 
Right, because that's part of what keeps them engaged as well. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, when you're that kind of person and you, you are constantly questioning, that's how you engage all the material in your life, probably. Well, to make bold storytelling choices like the storytelling choices of Josh Sweden over the years mm-hmm. or uh, people you know le- uh, like him, uh, you have to be really brave mm-hmm. and at the same time, totally insecure so there's this huge <laughs> sort of um you know dichotomy you your know. braveness comes from your insecurity yeah so you always you always like you i i look at the great storytellers and i and i i read them i read what they say off you know outside of their storytelling i read what they their interviews and it all it's always the same thing they're always bold bold people um, that are that are risk takers, but they're also kind of painfully aware of how you experience stories as a as a fan or a reader in the moment. We're, we're referencing um, off and on. We're talking about here the book that um, Trisha Barr wrote, uh, "Wind," that we mentioned earlier, um, the award winning book, and I'm already. Um, excited again now. I, I'm lucky me, Regina. I got a signed copy. Of course you did. <laughs> Damn you. And um, I'm excited because when you were describing the capitalist and the princess, <clears throat> immediately I thought Paris Hilton in space. So I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes she comes off as that shallow. So, um, but the, uh, you, it was it was interesting because I was I was challenging the the kind of trope, which is that female characters aren't that are successful aren't likable, mm-hmm. um, mm. which is you know they can't be both right. things. They right. can't be bold and powerful. You can't be strong and have agency and to be yeah, somebody's the, friend at the same time. Uh, I can tell you that over the years I've seen I've seen people react com- and women do it too. Women yeah. do too. They react completely different. If you took a character and and swap that character into a male character, they would be like, I love it. And they see that same characteristics and actions out of female characters. And they're like, wait a minute. And really, I just, um, well, my side job is I'm actually, no, my real job is I'm actually a traffic signal engineer. So um, I went to school for engineering. And when I started, when I went to school, I was four of 44, four girls out of 44 in my class. Oh, wow. And I've always been in a career where I'm not part of the uh, normal skew on the, you know, the there's less women. Right. So, but, I, and I, a lot of times I just, I, I don't think about how I, how I act, but my, I think my, my mom and my dad never treated me differently. My mom was also a math major and my dad was in the military and he was an engineer and we, he just sort of, we grew up, he didn't treat us like we would be any different because we were girls, Mm -hmm. my sister and I. And I, so I always acted that way, but looking back on it at first, that was hard for a lot of people, especially in my line of work where they just, you know, and I found, I talked to another female engineer who I was mentoring and she said, I feel like I have to dress less pretty and um, not put on makeup and just put my hair in a ponytail and wear kind of dowdy clothes or otherwise I'm either not taken seriously or I'm, they're like, oh, ooh, the pretty girl is here and she's not going to contribute anything. And I told her, well, I said, I've gone through those, those experiences um, as a female engineer. And so I brought a lot of that to my storytelling too. So, you know, I don't think I'm alone in that. So, uh, over the course of the book, I kind of uh, allow this character to challenge sort of those notions and pretty much the reaction has been the people who get to the end because the book is mighty long. It's a, it is an epic space fantasy, um, that it, that I have, I the people who started out were kind of weren't sure they were going to like the character really were rooting for it then. And that was the whole goal. Hmm. Well, that's awesome. And, and you can get wind on Amazon, right? It, it's a, yeah. Ebook or print form. The, yeah. It, um, it is available pretty much anywhere. So, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon. Yeah. That's the easiest way to do it. And, and so on. So it's, 
pretty much everywhere. I'm going to recommend it to a friend of mine. I have a friend who is a female uh, civil engineer for the state, and um, she struggles a lot with what you're talking about, a lot. Yeah, it's it's um it's kind of weird that you're you still experience you think about we were talking about this when I was you know 20 years ago. I'm not a young engineer. I've had my license for almost two decades. So, you know, that we're still going through these conversations that, you know, you, sh- you feel bad for it. But at the same time, I see a lot of things picking up. And, you know, even amazing thing show, like I remember I was watching the 100 on CW, which you would think, oh, okay. Uh, they had a female engineer mechanic who was not just a woman, she was uh, Latina. So I was thinking, wow, this is so awesome and it's so abnormal, but hopefully one day no one will see this and think it's weird because <sighs> I'm having this really kind of moment like, wow, this is really cool because, you know, they want to fix a ship and they're going to her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, no one thinks that, you know, right. that isn't your first inclination even mm-hmm. in real life. So. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I'm having way too much fun to end the conversation, but one of the things that um, I believe I overheard you mention a couple of times at Congregate, and I never got a chance to ask you about it, did you have some sort of uh, connection or reference to the, the, the issue that came up with the Disney stores not having a Princess Leia figure, or am I misremembering that? No, you're you're right, and yeah, just... I actually jumped on your bandwagon before before <laughs> I knew, before you be, were coming on the show and all that. I was I was there with you. <laughs> uh, my as it turns out, my uh, I had been my co-host on Fangirls Going Rogue, which is our Star Wars podcast. Um, Teresa Delgado, she's a big collector, and when the Rebels Toy Fair news rolled out, they released that revealed the characters for the Star Wars Rebel show, and the two female characters came out last. And so, and then they weren't represented in the Hasbro and Lego line um, equally. There was, I think, I think Hera was in the Millennium Falcon, or not the Falcon, the Ghost, I think, the Ghost Ship set, because she's the pilot. Um, and so, you know, we started to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute, wait, why aren't there, fem- you know, there's supposed to be six equal characters in the show, why aren't they in there? So that was the first time. And then she got invited to go to the Disney store rollout. Um, and so it was one of those things where you get to go, but you can't really talk about it right when you're there. Um, but we recorded an episode of fangirl chat where we talked about um, what had happened. And she'd asked about the, you know, why aren't there more Leia stuff? And there were a lot of good answers. Luke, it was Lucasfilm's decision on what to roll out. And, um, and so that's what they put out. And they said, you know, thing, you know, things as, you know, the movies got going and blah, blah, blah. And, and there were women working on the line. And I still, at the time when we did the interview, I was sort of like, Hmm, you know, I think this is going to come back up. And sure enough, when the, the line rolled out, people started to realize that they couldn't go to the Disney store and buy Princess Leia. Um, the reaction sort of kicked up. And I was like, as I talked to another uh, female blogger in emails that's pretty prominent in Star Wars, we noted that these things need to go wide for people to notice. And mm-hmm. wide, by that means it needs to go major media. And uh one of the big film blogger sites, well, several of the film blogger sites, which are, have been predominantly male dominated, have spoken up about uh, not just We Want Leia, but the casting news. And this is all, I think, sort of a perfect storm. Um, and and in retrospect, I don't think it was a bad storm because it, in the end, I think that the pieces like Time Magazine have said that it's proven that there is a strong, healthy female fan base Hmm. for Star Wars fans. And having been in the blogging circle, having talked to people from Lucasfilm and in licensees, I have had for a long time heard a lot of, um, you know, a lot of reasons that didn't make sense to me that, you know, girls have Star Wars stuff and boys stop playing with it. I don't think that's true. I yeah. I don't I don't believe that mindset. You know, we heard the same thing. Girls go 
you know, you put a female character in an action movie and people won't come too. And we know that's not true. So there's a lot of, um, I think corporations have a uh, personality and an existence. And Lucasfilm, while I love a lot of things about Star Wars, I still think that the personality of Lucasfilm wasn't of eccentric billionaire who was a white man and mm-hmm. he did what he wanted to do and the corporate culture became attuned to doing that and that's one of also one of the reasons that, that the contraction happened because they kept hiring um you kept seeing more and more of these um the really hardcore fanboys getting into the corporation and there were still all these amazing he hires these you know ceos and uh, all sorts of top positions are women, but the culture, the people who are in there who are working every day still have a different mindset and they want to produce what they really like. And um, that's what they were making. Those decisions were the action figures that they liked when they were kids and there weren't really toys for girls back then. So, um, you know, the, the knowledge. And so I'm, I'm really proud of one of my things when I started was to provide a voice and now sometimes I don't even have to do that I just can go back and sort of help nudge things or uh, give them more of a signal boost and um, let other people do the talking so those are the great moments where uh, in the way you want Leia I was just retweeting I I was in a very busy (laughs) moment in my life where I was trying to rate and I'm like oh this is fabulous retweet and someone someone tweeted back to Disney store they said please Please, Disney Store, put more Leia toys so I don't have to read these We Want Leia tweets in, in Fangirl Cantina's feed. And I was like, yes, that's exactly the point. <laughs> um, and it's unfortunate that you have to make that much noise. Um, yeah. You know, Latina Review made the point about the, the you know, I still get people who tell me you shouldn't, uh, you were premature in speaking up about the casting. Um and of episode seven, the cast photo. And I, and I firmly do not believe that. I believe that they were not aware of how strong the female fan base was and, and the, we want Leia campaign and the reaction. Um, they still can't talk about the movie in major media without them bringing up that <laughs> photo and in a way that they don't want them to talk about, because I think in the end, you know, now we're seeing that it's going to be, you know there's a female lead and the other lead is a black male character and how awesome is that yeah Yeah, Um, that's pretty that's pretty fantastic in the end so Mm -hmm. and you know we don't know who you know in the end I think that it'll all be good but still you know sometimes it's um, as much about the world building it's a much as fandom is as much about the minor characters when you talk about cosplay for all of the major characters you can go to cons and see all these people playing all these minor obscure characters yeah. because it's as much about the world building it is, as it is the main characters. Well, I think I saw something like that, like Boba Fett had, uh, you know, almost zero screen time and is, is, you know, legendary and people cosplay him all the time. He, he has a couple lines yeah, and, and, and he's, they kept bringing him back to life. As a matter of fact, I just want him to die so I don't have to see him again. <laughs> and, you know, some of my, like, greatest friends in Star Wars are huge Boba Fett fans. But, you know, it's it's all it's all good. But, you mm. know, there were times where, like, he definitely, he, he came to life because of fans, not because right. of what, you know, any great idea. Right. You know. or, or any great presence, even. I mean, it's a cool costume and it's, you know, it makes a striking impression and that's the end of it. Well, and but you know what the, the the striking impression is that you could look at him, and this is why I've not been into the making a Boba Fett movie because you can look at that costume and imagine a million stories for that character, mm-hmm. and to go on a million adventures, and th- and that's what's really cool about him. And not you know there were pe- many stories over the years. I mean, he's Boba Fett's been literally a million different things over the years in Star Wars, which is kind of funny that, you know, people worry about canon and stuff and mm-hmm. oh, and that, oh, he's, you know, he's been every which way, but I, you can enjoy all of those iterations of him mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and the people who like 
you know, there was the guy who cosplayed him at Geek Girl Con. He let me take the bucket and pose with him. (laughs) 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 With I had my Rogue Squadron dress on and um, they were joking. Should get get rid of him. So that's funny. Well, we have just had a super super good time um, with Trisha Barr today. We highly encourage you to go out and and check out the Fangirl blog, and to check out her um, award winning Wind, the space um, space opera. I was very happy to meet Trisha at Congregate, and she does a lot of cons, uh, a lot of writing. So you'll be able to uh, find connections for her in a lot of places. And I think we're going to have to have Trisha back because we just have too much fun. Absolutely. I love it. And um, my article on fangirls from the beginning from 1977 is in Star Wars Insider 151, which is the giveaway at San Diego Comic-Con this uh, week. And also we'll be hitting the shelves at bookstores and newsstands. And that was re- kind of really exciting because the one article is about geek couture and fashion in that. Ooh, and cool. um, then the other article was I chronic, I talked to a female fan who was 29 in 1977, who's been a Star Wars fan since then. And then also uh, there was, an, you know, there were, Oh, the interview with Vanessa Marshall who plays, Harrison Dula in Rebels. So I was like, wow, look at all these ladies in Stellar's <laughs> Insider. Cause you know, that's not normal. So, um, to it's really, things are picking up and they're changing. So cool. that's a really fun thing. This, and you know, women like to buy magazines. So yeah. And I was able to download that on my Kindle. Oh, good. Yeah. That's awesome. I, you know, I'm, I'm such a print person. It's, it's a thing with me. <laughs> I know Rhonda had her, she, you're like electronic gadget. And I was like, I like my pieces of paper, but sometimes yeah. I lose them. I lose my books or I have to carry them. <laughs> You've been listening to Game On Girl. All of our social media connections can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can find me on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as you can find me on all the above-mentioned social media places. Huge, massive genuine, absolutely fantastic thanks to Trisha Barr for joining us on the show this week. This was a great conversation and honestly, I'm a little inspired to get back to writing, which has been a real struggle for me since I finished the dissertation. So talking to Trisha has really kind of got me thinking about some stuff I can write about, which um, would be really good. Yeah, uh, uh, just a a really hearty conversation. Yeah, exactly. A really sort of meaty, good good meat and potatoes conversation here. I loved it. So thanks to her. And definitely make sure to go check out Fangirl Blog. So what do we have coming up, Rhonda? Any any events or interesting things coming up for the sort of end of summer here? Um, Well, the um, network television is um, killing me. Because Because there is none. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, there is none. And what there is is nothing but reality TV. Oh my god! <laughs> reality television. You're not watching The Bachelorette then? Oh no! <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw a trailer actually, or a, a commercial yesterday, and I was like, "Who watches this?" <laughs> oh yeah, I forget. <laughs> Sometimes Regina. Sometimes um, Regina. Yes. Uh, one show on ABC that's coming up on July 31st, The Quest. I did not realize was a reality show, and it is. Oh. I thought it was a fantasy. Uh, drama or or uh, dramedy, mm-hmm. and it's a stupid reality show. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it's yeah. set in a fantasy world, and you're supposed to be a knight and defeat stuff. But it's 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 just a reality. twelve contestants oh. eliminating people. Blah oh. blah. So oh, well, skip that. You know what? There are new episodes of that you should watch just for the sheer uh, car wreck of it. Well, why? Uh, uh, Wipeout. There's a new season of Wipeout. Oh, yes. Oh, I love that. I love Wipeout. Wipeout is the reason to have a TV. Yes. It is. It's just, I love watching people on that show. It's fun. It's one of the few times I sit down watching TV and I just cackle. Yeah. I, oh God. I, and I use the word cackle. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> but it was actually white belt got me through a, a, a semester where I was teaching and I was having a really hard time reading student papers. Regular wipeout breaks was the only thing that saved my sanity. Yeah. 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 Well, save everything for wipeout. And then, of course, on August 1st, Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's right around the corner. And, and we're in line. Yeah. So, yes, we are. Right on. So some a little a little geek boost at the end of the summer here for us. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. And thanks to Isabella, our fearless intern, um, all the episodes of, of Game on Girl, all 123, are available on iTunes now. We had a cap at 20 before, and uh, she was clever, clever enough to figure that out. So you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and then, therefore, on Stitcher as well. So if you're behind or if you've missed any, you can definitely go back and check them out. These links, along with references made on the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, Until and until next time, game on, or get you right on, too. <laughs> May the force be with you. <laughs>